It was a Sunday afternoon um, that I had returned from a trip, and I was tired, okay? <laughs> During this season, my then toddler-aged grandson lived with us, and I had the privilege of putting him down for a little nap. And, you know, honestly, that word sounded so good that I gave into it. Just, I wanted to lay my own head down. And just as I was about to drift off, I heard this crazy eruption, a loud crash through my house. I sat up and I thought, what on earth? And I began to make my way through my home, out of my bedroom, down the hall, into the entryway, into the living room. And as I rounded into the dining room, I knew immediately the source. A three-shelf wall unit that had once upon a time hung on the wall in my dining room and had, by the way, housed my grandmother's antique china collection had lost its grip and lay in smatterings on the floor in my dining room. This was the one item that when my grandmother passed, I really prayed I could receive is my remembrance of her. Because I had memories of her telling stories of, of going all over Europe in little grandmother tourist buses with other little grandmother women, picking out a plate in each location and bringing it home bubble-wrapped to me. And she would unwrap it and tell me the story behind it. And I loved the display. And I would stop there and remember my mana, I called her. In this day, when, when this whole unit fell off the wall, I, I bent down to it. And I was so dismayed. It really felt like everything was falling off the walls of my life in this season. And I bent down to it, completely beyond hope, feeling like I was beyond help. And I felt in that moment that God bent down next to me, and, and he wrapped his arm around me, assuring me that he was with me, and that while I may have felt beyond help from myself, that I wasn't beyond his help. I had no option but to get a dustpan and a broom and sweep up the mess and throw it away, but God had other plans for it. I want to ask you a series of questions. And please don't answer them out loud, okay? This is just between you and your little self here. Don't nod at me. Don't go, yeah, 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 that's me. Just quietly inside yourself. See if you answer yes to any questions in this series. You ready? Are you a child of addiction or of divorce or of a single parent? Have you lost a child or a grandchild? Do you have a daughter who became pregnant as a teenager and then a second time? Is someone in your family or your extended family gay? Does someone in your home today struggle with addiction to alcohol or to drugs? Has someone in your family been adopted or has someone in your family relinquished a child through adoption? Has someone chosen abortion? Have you received a recorded message from your child's school that they're not at school? and you're not sure where they are? Have you received a call from a lab reporting a positive drug test? Or an eerie middle-of-the-night phone call that someone you love has been arrested, or has been in a car accident, or is drunk again? Okay, you see why I didn't want you to answer these questions out loud. 
the chances are that every person here, every person in the fellowship hall probably is raising an inside hand to at least one of those questions, and more likely several of those questions. And we carry around a sense of shame about saying yes to those questions because we think that when we come to know Jesus that, bing, we're supposed to have this victorious life that's beyond such deep disappointments. And we feel a kind of a crazy sense of shame that we're not living a victory in Jesus everyday life. I know because I've answered yes to every single one of those questions. Every one. All the issues that have come into our home. I have sat in waiting rooms and in counseling rooms and courtrooms, in inmate visitation rooms and in hospital rooms. I come from a broken family. When I was five years old, my father called me into his study and asked me to come up onto his lap, and I loved my daddy time, so I crawled up in there, and he took my little shoulders and pointed my face towards his and looked eyeball to eyeball and said, Elisa, I've decided I don't love your mother anymore, and so we're going to get a divorce. And I felt like in that moment that my family fell and broke, and I wondered what I could do to fix it. My new normal family moved across the United States, my mom, my older sister, my younger brother, and I. And I remember when I was around 11, my days started with the sound of my mom's alarm clock going off down the hall in our ranch-style home in Houston, Texas, kind of, and I would pull back the covers, and I'd go into the kitchen, and I'd grab a glass and put some ice cubes in it and pour Coca-Cola over the top. And I would reach into the cookie jar and get a couple of chocolate chip cookies, and I would take them back down the hall to my mom's nightstand, where I would set them, and I would turn off her alarm, and I would begin the process of trying to wake up my mom, because she was a single mom, and she needed to go to work, and it was my responsibility to get her up and off and out the door, because she couldn't do that for herself, because my mom struggled with alcohol. In that season, I felt like my family fell and broke. And I wondered what I could do to fix it. When I was 16 years old, even though I had been going to church forever, because my mom would drop my sister and I off there for both services, and we didn't know what to do, so we joined the adult choir. And we stumbled around in our long crimson robes with our creamy stoles. Lo, how are blooming? I came to love God, but I didn't know him intimately. And when I was around 16, I found out that there was actually a way to have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And I invited Jesus into my heart. Not long after that, I I had a dream. And in this dream, I was falling in slow motion off of this cliff. Honestly, I looked down below me and I saw these flesh-colored rocks. I thought I was going to die. But just at the last minute, as my body hit these rocks, instead of being bashed, I was absorbed into them as they were soft and cushy. In fact, I realized they were the very hands of God, and I heard this voice in my dream say, I am your heavenly Father. I will never leave you or forsake you. And I determined when I awoke, you know what? I may have come from a broken family, but I'm going to grow up to create a perfectly intact second family. I know Jesus now. I've got the key. I've got the formula. I'm going to make it. I remember clarifying God's call on my life and enrolling in seminary. And I met there my husband, stable rock of a man that he is, Evan. 
because we knew then that we'd be unable to have children biologically because Evan had suffered and then survived from cancer, we began a really long process of adoption. Can I just say it's kind of like being dilated to nine for like four and a half years, okay? Ah! <laughs> Finally, the call came through and we received first our baby girl and then our baby son. And those years were so full of ah, family. We would have Jesus time every night and we would read the Kenneth Table, Kenneth Taylor Bible stories and count the ladybugs on the pages. We spent gobs of time at church. We had super friends that mentored us in how to parent. I received a phone call during those years when my kids were still just in elementary from the board of directors of Mops International, would I consider becoming the first president of this grassroots organization that was then 15 years old but needed formal leadership? And I'm like, me? I'm the one from the broken family. Are you kidding me? Don't they know about the monster mom who emerges now and then? Don't they know about my suds slinging moments? Don't they know I'm Mother Elisa, not Mother Teresa? Do they have the right night, the right number? But God nudged me forward and assured me that every other mom has the same Swiss cheese holes in her soul that I have in mine. And he assured me, I'll make your deficits into your offering. Put them in my hands. And I said yes to that call. And I stayed there some 13, 15 years into that tenure. I had another dream, and this time I was walking through a home that was under construction. Jesus was my tour guide, and he stopped at these two adjacent rooms, and he said, this room is for your daughter, and this room is for the baby. And I'm going, what are you talking about? My daughter's just 16. And I woke up, whoa, shook that off. Just a few nights later, the, the dream repeated itself. Jesus, the tour guide, the two rooms, this room's for your daughter, this room's for her baby. Shook it off. Not long after that, I was in a meeting at Mops, and we were sitting around a conference table, and we were talking about the creation of a new arm of Mops called Teen Mops, Mops for moms who were themselves teenagers. And I felt God lean down and whisper in my ear, you're going to know more about this than anyone in this room, Elisa. And I went home, and I asked my beautiful, state-ranked swimming daughter, who had just come back from a, a trip to Kenya to work with HIV-positive orphans, is there any reason you could be pregnant? And she nodded. And I, never before pregnant me, I get in my car and drive to the grocery store and purchase a pregnancy test, really? And take it home and stand outside the bathroom door and wait until my daughter emerges? Yep. Me, it felt like to me then that my family fell and broke, and I wondered what I could do to fix it. It wasn't just my daughter who surprised me, but my, my beautiful, rye-witted, dimple-cheeked, strong son began to veer off the road of stability as well until he went straight into a ditch, losing himself into addiction. There's more, there's so much, so much, so much more to my story. I come from a broken family, and, and despite my very best efforts to create a perfectly intact second family, I still come from a broken family. 
And you know what I've learned? I'm not alone. Because there's really no such thing as a perfect family. We all come from broken families because even God had a broken family. Think about it. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, man and woman. And they were fashioned in the image of God in their beings and in their union. But before they even got around to making the first children, they fell and broke. They disobeyed the one commandment he gave them to leave alone. The very first family was a family that was divorced from the heart of God, pushing against his will for their own. The result is that by Genesis 6, the inhabitants of the planet are so turned away from God that he decides to wipe them out and start all over again. His heart broke over the broken family. And the second time, honestly, the results are not all that much better, are they? For 40 days and 40 nights, they do okay together, starting with Noah. But once the flood ends, they lose their footing and the downfall of the family continues. Think about it. At the request of his wife, Father Abraham sleeps with her slave and gives his mistress an illegitimate heir. Or what about Jacob, who makes his way through one sister in order to end up with his desired end sister? Or what about King David, who indecently liaisons with Bathsheba and then produces the next king of Israel and Solomon? Just in the Old Testament, that's what happened. The New Testament starts out with a pregnant, unwed teenage girl. We all come from a broken family, and despite our very best efforts, in one way or another, we end up creating a broken family. The family is fractured and and messed up and sinful and needy and redeemable. Our Creator God pants to bring His children into being, and then His heart tears in pain as we run and reject His love. Our Father God christens us, sons and daughters, and then he stands in the road waiting for us to return after we've turned away from him. And our hereafter God imagines a future when we're finally restored to who he's already imagined that we would one day be. We come from a broken family. The family broke before it was ever fully formed. And just as my efforts fell short from creating a second perfect family, so will yours Think of it this way. If God, the perfect parent, didn't create a perfect family, why do we think we can or or even should? I think it's time to talk. From this perspective, this vantage point of survival that I have arrived at, I can see now that I swallowed a myth, a myth that needs to be exposed for me and, and for all of us, and especially for those of us who follow Jesus faithfully and love him so much. And the myth is that there is such a thing as a possibility to create a perfect family. You see, I thought it was my fault that my first family fell and broke. And so I decided it was my responsibility to create a perfect family. But the problem is I'm broken. Everybody is. Every one of us. I've come to discover that God actually offers us hope in what we might call broken family values. He understands the waywardness of his loved ones. He gets it that abnormal is pretty much normal, that people are imperfect and they're messed up and yet they're worthy of respect and they're never, ever, ever beyond hope. 
God brings beauty in the broken. And people like you and me need to know it. We need the hope of that phrase. Isaiah 53, 5 underlines God's provision for the broken heart and the broken soul and the broken human and, yes, the broken family. He writes, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. That word wounds actually means broken blood vessels. Black and blue marks, bruises. And the word healed comes from a a root that means mended or repaired or made whole, forgiven. So by Jesus' wounds, his black and blue marks, his breaking, we are made whole. Now the brokenness of our first families is not our fault, and I want you to hear me say that. Children are not responsible for their parents' divorces. Children are not responsible for their parents' addictions. Children are not responsible for their parents' poor choices and inappropriate behavior. The brokenness in our first family are not our fault, but there may be elements in our second family's breakage that have been by our hand. And for those, we need to apologize and ask forgiveness. I I have gathered up the mess I've made before my second family more times than I can count. I was over-controlling. I was a helicopter mom. I thought I had all the answers. When that hutch clattered off the wall in my dining room, it's like I began a toppling of my own. And like I said, the only option I had was to sweep up the mess and put it away. But see, God doesn't do that. He actually bends down next to us and picks up one shard at a time and looks at them and says, I've got a purpose for this. I have an idea. Pastor Jerry Sitzer talks about this most beautiful reality that he learned. And I want to incorporate it as I bring forward to you two sentences that I want you to hold on to today. Two sentences. Are you ready for them? Hold out your little hands, okay? You can do it in your heart if you want to, or you can be bold and actually hold out your hands. Okay, ready? Here's the first one. God loves the broken. He loves the broken. He loves us just the way we are, and yet he loves us way too much to leave us this way. Jerry Sitzer talks about an automobile accident some 20 years ago when he lost his mother, his wife, and his daughter in one night. And in the aftermath of that, he wrote a book to to try and express his grief, calling it a grace disguised. 20 years later, he looks back at it, seeing how God has moved in his days. And he released a sequel to that book, calling it a grace revealed, saying that yesterday's grace disguised can become today's grace revealed. And he talks about how We all are redeemable because redemption is basically becoming who we already are in Christ. And who we already are is loved. God loved us. And when I am broken, God loves me. He doesn't put us back together exactly the same way, but rather a little bit differently. I mean, take me. I'm not the same person I was. I'm not the same person I was when my father called me into his office 
and my family fell and broke. I'm different. I'm not the same person I was when, when my mom needed me to wake her up in the mornings. I'm not the same person I was when my brother told me he was gay, when my daughter told me she was pregnant. I'm not the same person. I'm broken. Oh, I, I still see the pieces of me going together, but not in the same way. I can find my giggle when my grandson and I make the, the laps in our family room into the kitchen. I can find that. And, and I still enliven a discussion on vision and strategy with ideas and creativity. But when questions are asked, I'm slower to answer. And when someone's wounded, I hold back from swooping in to fix their world. And more often, I just put my arm around them and sit down and listen. I'm different. I'm broken. And God loves broken me. And he's, he's redeeming broken me. When I was in my late 20s, I wanted very much to see if I could restore some of the relationship I had had or missed with my father. And so I got in touch with him to see if he'd be willing he invited me to come to a business location where he was having meetings and he had some extra time. And so I met him there. And after just a short time, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, it was so awkward, awkward, that I just excused myself. And I was on my way back to my hotel room and I ran into my stepmother who said, why aren't you with your dad? And I said, well, I figured he was probably done with me right now. I mean, 15, 20 minutes after 30 years? She said, oh, no, Elisa, he set aside this whole afternoon to be with you. I went back to my, my room, and I picked up my Bible just where I'd been reading, and I was like, God, help me, help me, help me, help me understand this. What is it that's going on with me? And I turned to 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. This is the amplified version. There's no fear in love, dread does not exist, but full-grown love that's complete and perfect turns fear out of doors and every trace of terror, for fear brings with it the thought of punishment. And so the one who's afraid has not yet reached the full maturity of love or has not grown yet into love's complete perfection. I was afraid. I was afraid my father was going to again reject me. And Jesus gently met me through that scripture, saying, there's no fear in love. I have already taken care of of any punishment you could ever fear to face. There's no fear in love. A friend gave me a challenge. Okay, it was a therapist. She gave me a challenge. Spend five minutes every single day focusing on God's love for you. That's kind of a weird challenge, but I tried it. I sit down the first day, I'm like, you know, just, you know, you sit down quietly for five minutes, you're dead, asleep, right? I mean, it's a chance. Oh, okay. Next day, I'm going to do better, right? Next day, I sit down for five minutes, and it's just like, I need to get kitty litter. Oh, I better get some Jello, And off I go with my grocery list. It kept like that as I kept trying to do it. But three or four or five days into it, no kidding, I sat down focusing on God's love, and this is what I heard. I love you. Elisa. I had never heard that sentence before. Not from God. I'd heard God loves you, right? I'd heard Jesus loves you, sure. But I'd never heard God loves you. I love you, Elisa. I'd never heard it like that. Have you? Have you? 
Have you ever heard, I love you, Robert? I love you, Marge. I love you, Samantha. I love you, Tiffany. I love you, Judy. I love you, Stephen. I love you, James. I love you, Theodore. I love you, Stephanie. I love you. Have you ever heard that before? Because it's true. God loves you. He loves the broken. That's the first sentence I want to hold out to you. But there's another one I want to hold out for you. And it's this. God uses the broken. He uses the broken. That's a really hard thing to understand at first. We feel so ew when we're broken, don't we? But all through Scripture, we see that God uses the broken. Think about it. God uses two broken stone tablets in Exodus 32 to cause the Israelites to repent of their disobedience. He uses a broken heart in Psalm 51 to woo King David away from indecency and back to himself as his first love. He used a broken roof to to lower a cripple into the presence of Jesus in Mark chapter 2. He used broken loaves in Matthew 14 to feed 15,000 people. He used broken fishing nets in Luke chapter 5 to help the disciples gain a vision that they will be fishing for people, not for fish. He used a, a broken flask in Mark Chapter 14, when Mary of Bethany broke her flask and anointed Jesus' body before his death, he used a broken ship in Acts 27 and 28 to take Paul to the land of Malta to share the gospel with the people who had never heard of Jesus Christ. God uses the broken over and over and over in Scripture until he uses the broken body of his son to provide healing for broken you and broken me because by his wounds we are healed. It's hard at first to understand this because we look at the broken messes in our lives and we think these are actually the things that disqualify us, right? From service, from ministry, from life, from from value, from worth. We think these are the things that disqualify us when actually, when placed in God's hands, those broken things can actually become the very aspects that further qualify us. Maybe you faced financial hardship. You're so humiliated. You, you, you drained the deacon's fund. They're like, don't let him have any more. But through discipline... You finally got your stuff kind of back together. And now you know others who are struggling financially. And you've learned principles and you share from what you've learned. You come alongside confidentially and sit with others who are struggling. Maybe you've survived cancer and you know what it's like to lose your hair. And you know it's, it's so humiliating and it's so mortal and so hard. And when a friend is diagnosed, you pick up the phone because you know that it can be cold in chemo and you have a blanket to share. And you know what it's like to have to worry about transportation. You think, I can take you. I know what it's like because you've been through that brokenness. Or maybe there's one crazy Friday morning at 930 when you find your body just numbly walking up a concrete path into your county correctional facility. And you slide your driver's license under this window, and you look up, and you meet the eyes of the the warden there, 
she checks your name off and she looks at the person that you're to see and she says, yep, cubicle number 12. And she buzzes you through and you go and you sit down in a hard plastic chair in cubicle number 12 and you pick up the phone and you look at a blank screen and you wait and suddenly your loved one's face comes on that screen and you talk and then you start praying because if you're here and they're there, they're going to listen to you pray, right? And then the clock begins to count down until it goes blank again and you replace the receiver and you walk paralyzed out the door going, how did I get here? But the next Friday morning, as you go back up to your appointment, you go through the whole thing and you turn around, another person's coming through the door and you can tell by the shell-shocked look on their face, they have never been here before and they're thinking, how did I get here? And they may have a different color of skin from you. They may be a different age from you. They may speak a different language from you. But you meet their gaze and you nod. And there is this kind of, you're going to get through this moment exchanged. Because God uses the broken. Paul talks about this, that he's more revealed in our brokenness than in our perfection. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God. It's not from us. I was in an antique store. I was in the little sale part of it where the relics were, the stuff nobody wanted, and I came across a stack of antique china plates. There were six of them. They caught my attention because, honestly, they looked a lot like the ones that had been in my grandmother's china collection, but they also looked like the ones that had been chosen for the cover on my book. You can see it here. And if you look closely, you'll notice there's cracks running through them. I was mesmerized by this. Why are these plates all cracked, and how do they hold together? And I turned them over, and on the other side... These plates had been stapled together. I took them up to the proprietress and I said, what? what?" And she said, oh, that was an antique kind of uh, Victorian plate. And that was a technique used to repair plates. And I thought, why would you bother? She said, well, if you had a choice to to eat off of a, a board or a stapled plate, what would you do? And I thought, that's what God does with us. I threw away all of the the broken plates. God staples us together. He stapled his son to the cross in such a way that we might be redeemed because there's beauty in the broken. Today I have been married over 35 years and that dear, stable soul of a man has stayed. We have two adult children, a son and a daughter and a grandson and her husband and that order. We're, we're messy. We're gooey in the middle. I'd like to say if you put a toothpick in us and pulled it back out, it'd be like, ew, push that puppy in a little bit longer. It needs a little more work. I'm not done. If I were done, I'd be dead. We're not done. My husband and I are still growing. My grown kids are paving their own paths. They love Jesus. Sometimes they go to church. They text their prayers They cover their bodies in inked symbols all over. My daughter talks to other people about her faith in Christ while she cuts and styles their hair, and she advocates for her son at every turn. And her husband stands by her bedside with all kinds of health challenges. And and my son bows his head over his big book, and he works the steps, and he looks at my husband in the eye, and he thanks us for another choice. And just two months ago, he married a beautiful young woman. We're all still growing. 
We're all still broken. I come from a broken family, and despite my very best efforts, I still come from a broken family. And I want to say thank God, because there is beauty in the broken. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you understand breakage. Thank you that nothing is hidden from the sight of God, to whom one day we will give account. Thank you that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And thank you that when we look to you, we are radiant and we are no longer covered in our faces by shame. Thank you for the beauty of broken. And thank you for the gorgeous breakage of your heart and the broken body of your son that we would know the beauty of redemption because you love us and you use us. In your name, amen.